Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. When two Division I athletes discuss the challenges and successes of navigating life after competing, you get conversations designed by athletes for athletes. I'm Don Sutton. And I'm Brooke Beerhouse, sharing with the athletic community stories and insights to better understand life when your sport ends. Hello, and welcome to another interesting episode of When Your Sport Ends, here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Here to bring you weekly conversations on a topic that most collegiate and professional athletes struggle to discuss. I'm Brooke Beerhouse, alongside my stubborn and brilliant co-host, Don Sutton. This week, we had the pleasure of talking to Chloe Molesky, a former Duke University distance runner who is currently pursuing her master's in sports psychology, all the while working as a fitness instructor, personal trainer, and health coach in L.A., Chloe's take on her transition out of racing at Duke is extremely interesting because she's still training and competing in fitness competitions and endurance races, yet her mentality and energy focus has changed. We discussed a few topics that touched a raw spot for all three of us, especially the random trigger of people asking what sport you played since you look athletic, but being surprised when it's not what they expected. I don't want to spoil too much, you'll just have to listen for yourself. And don't forget, if you like this episode and previous episodes, to rate and review below. I'd love to get your quick rundown of what life is like for you at the moment, and then we'll get into your career as, well, I suppose now you still have a career running and racing, but what it was like your collegiate career, and we'll talk about the transition. But first, a little background about you and what you're doing currently. Okay. Um, so currently, I live in Santa Monica, California. I'm very lucky to be here. I absolutely love it. Uh, I think I manifested living in California quite a bit because I ran, I ran track in school and I would like, I have long blonde hair and I'm always in my sports bar running around and people would seriously assume I was from California and I'm actually from New Hampshire people. And I'm actually from New Hampshire and people are like, uh, like the actual opposite. So, um, but people said it enough and now here I am, I've been here almost four years and I work. So I work for primal health coach Institute, which is an ancestral health school which I'll probably end up talking a lot more about. Uh, And I do their marketing. It's a small, I mean, I call it a startup, but we're about four years old now. Uh, So I do a little bit of everything because there's only five of us. Uh, So anything from supporting the students and graduates to their marketing and social media, uh, I do it. But I love working for them. I got certified through them. And um, yeah, it's just, it's the best because I get to work remotely so I can travel when I do competitions and things like that. And they're super supportive of that. And then I'm also a full-time graduate student at Pepperdine studying psychology with an emphasis on sports psychology. So I'm, uh, I'll finish my master's in December. Really excited about that. And I do personal one-on-one coaching as well. You've got a lot going on. Fitness and yeah. sports, huh? Yeah. 
Pretty, fitness, uh, sports, health, California. <laughs> California. You sound like you belong in California. I know. I really do. I do. <laughs> it's the best. I'm so, so grateful. Awesome. So what uh, drove you to sports psychology then? Yeah, it's kind of cool because I was thinking about it and I was having a quarter life crisis last year. Like, what do I do? Like, I don't know if I should go back to school and invest in this. Part of me wants to know, like, it's so romanticized to just pick up and do wanderlust and travel. I'm still young enough. I work remotely. Like, I could do that. And, you know, I was asking everyone for advice. But the thing is, asking for advice is kind of a cop out because I think that's where the growth happens. And I'm just really reflecting on it now. I know I made the right choice and I feel really, really good about it. And it kind of connected all my dots. So uh, to answer your question, why sports psychology? I have been an athlete my whole life. I have three brothers. I love competing. I think like whenever they asked me to use, like in classes when I was growing up, use a, a word to describe you that starts with the first letter of your name, competitive Chloe. That was me. Like I, <laughs> it's kind of been my identity for a long time. Uh, and I truly, it's, it's kind of shifted from being competitive with others to competitive with myself and just holding myself accountable. And I, I, um, I found it interesting how my, my college career went and, I didn't have the success I wanted. And I think if I was able to connect things earlier on, it would have, my trajectory would be really, really different. And I would have had more success in college and in other sports um, because I ended up running in college, but in a perfect world, I would have loved to have played basketball or soccer. I just wasn't getting the same kind of offers in those sports. So um, I, I just wish I knew a lot of things earlier. So when I was in college, I saw a sports psychologist. I didn't really think much of it. And it was kind of compartmentalized. Like if it didn't have to do with what I was, how I was performing on the track, it was kind of let's refer out. And that's how a lot of sports, psycho- traditional sports psychologists operated. But it's really shifting now to a much more holistic approach where it's like, no, what you eat is obviously going to affect how you perform. Oh, what you think is obviously going to affect how you perform. Oh, who you're hanging out with and who's pushing you, your teammates are, is going to affect how you perform. And I'm just, just so excited to be entering this field at this time because the world's starting to catch on, you know, LeBron's on calm app, things are shifting and it just, it feels so perfect. And it's just one of those moments where I'm like, wow, this is so cool. I was so lost and now it's all making sense. I feel like that's something that I didn't take advantage of until my junior year when I was trying to figure out if I was going to stay on the track team or not at Iowa. I They offer psychology for us. So we, I saw a sports psychologist as well. And it was, I don't think it was really a big, it didn't, Honestly, I don't think it helped me work through everything, but it was all same. I did. Yeah. Right. I mean, I felt like there was, I went a couple sessions and I was just like, I don't know how to explain this to you. You're not like, she never competed. She was never an athlete. So to that extent, I feel like you're going to help so many people because you do understand what it's like. And now, I mean, what would you what would you do differently if you, with that mind shift? Like, it sounds like you had a, a incredible mind shift. So I'm just curious what that has led to now with competing in a more, I guess, healthy outlook or what would you classify yeah. that? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things like piggybacking off what you said, I have this super talented professor at school and she helps athletes and she has absolutely no background in sports. And, you know, she was like telling me, she's like, yeah, I work with some high level athletes, but mm-hmm. the way she was wording things, she's like, he caught the ball. Like it was just so elementary the way she was talking about sports. And I was like, wow, yeah. I'm someone who actually has this background. Imagine the impact I can have with psych and sports. So that was kind of a, uh, a light bulb for me where I was like, this is someone who is just super talented as a psychologist and she's still able to help athletes imagine having both worlds and meshing them. So, uh, that was kind of another similar to what you said. Like if it's, if you're more relatable, it makes it so much easier for an athlete. And that's been a lot of the conversations I've had. I've been talking uh, to friends that play in the NFL or NBA and they're like, yeah, it's like this old white woman. I don't really feel like I can relate to her. Uh, so how do you become relatable? And like a lot of them are going to say, I don't have a mental, I don't have any mental issues. I don't need to see a psychologist. So kind of finding that balance between being a, a, yeah. That was was me. That was me. Yeah. yeah. The counselor at uh, UT was like, you should see a psychologist. And I was just way too stubborn at that point in my life to say anything about, yeah, I need psychological help. Which I'm kind of glad I did miss it because from what it sounded like, it would have just been me with an old white woman sitting there talking about my feelings. <laughs> but that is going to be hard. Like, have you come across that, Chloe? And already with, I almost feel like I don't know if it's a, a gender thing, but maybe a little bit having that more male energy. Not there's like connotations to seeking out mental health. Have you run into that? already yeah there's definitely a stigma but I think something that makes me more approachable is the fact that I still compete and I mean the person I was talking to in particular he used to play in the NFL and he was like honestly like yeah I would it would be a lot easier for me to talk to you like you look so like you look like you can probably bench more than me like that makes (laughs) it like that gives us something to talk about or relate or gives me some sort of status with um with them so I I think, I mean, I've talked to a few sports psychologists that work in, um, work with professional athletes now, and it really varies. Like one woman, she was like very traditional. She labels herself as a psychologist. And then another woman, she was like, oh, I never lead with clinical psychology because that makes me less approachable. And I roll up with my Jordans on and they like, that makes them like talk to me. So I think it's about just being authentic to yourself and finding your own secret sauce. And if you're being yourself, people are going to be able to see that and want to talk to you. It's like, I can't really conform to either way. It's kind of going to be finding the balance of what works for me and works for my clients. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, because I tend to do this a lot. um, Tell us a little bit about your college experience at Duke. um, Like what that was like for you. So we have a background. Yeah. I actually, I kind of missed your, question before about the, the whole female part which I think is huge because mm-hmm. Dom I think you my the sports psychologist at Duke was actually a male and I think that contributed to the lack of like I was just Connection. in college I was Maybe. yeah yeah and just like relating and for me running I guess I have to start a little bit before Duke so like I said I um, grew up playing sports I have three brothers and I was just super competitive and I but I just was excelling at running from the beginning. 
And to be completely transparent, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had this moment where uh, the two girls that were, I was in sixth grade and this like really transformed my whole life, to be honest. I was in sixth grade, the two girls that are faster than me, they're in seventh and eighth grade. And I noticed that was the first time I noticed that they were like, they seemed smaller than me and they were faster than me because they were both older than me. But I was still like holding my own, like I was always right behind them, da, 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 da. Um, and my coach was like, uh, Chloe, you're my, they're my thoroughbreds and you're my Clydesdale. And I, because I, but this was, he meant it as a compliment because I never got hurt. And it's funny because I'm still friends, I'm still friends with these girls. And they were like, yeah, I always wanted to be as strong as you. And for me, I was like, oh, I always wanted to be as small as you because I thought small equaled faster. So that was like the first time the, the weight stuff and running first I was exposed to it and noticed it, but it is absolutely insane because I go back and I look at pictures and I was tiny, tiny. And I, but I really didn't feel that way because they were tinier. Um, I just, yeah, it's so unreal to think that that was like how I was thinking of myself. But the reason I say that is because from that moment on, I labeled myself a big runner. No, like I heard it once. I heard that Clydesdale comment. And like from then on, everything, my whole story became I'm a bigger runner. Like I'm a distance runner, but I'm bigger. And But I look back and I wasn't. And now I am a big distance runner, like truly. But I truly feel like a lot of it was manifested because I was telling this story to myself over and over and over again. And I was looking for it. So then when I went to college, it was kind of a similar thing. I was like, Oh, I'm the, I'm bigger. And like, I wasn't necessarily that much bigger then. And it was kind of just like my story that I carried over. And I don't think that was addressed at all. Like Mm -hmm. how to break that story. No one talked to me about that. And if I had broken that earlier, I think I would have had released so much energy to actually compete (laughs) because I was just consumed by that part. That is One of the hardest things to deal with, I think, as a female distance runner, and I know male distance runners are susceptible to that as well, but even recently, just having Mary Kane talk about her experience with Nike Track Club, I mean, that's that's been an opening for people. I know my former teammates, I also went through eating disorders and having, you know, the smaller, the faster, and I think Mm -hmm. that that dialogue is something that should be talked about more so that female runners know that it's like, it's good to be strong and utilize that. I mean, I'm six foot and all of my teammates were like five, four, you know, that's not six feet is not a typical um, distance runner form. So I I feel you. Yeah. I like, I don't know if I said bigger runner, but I definitely was like, okay, I'm like the tallest, the longer legs, like I should be faster. you like, that was my reasoning, Mm -hmm. but I, I kept trying to find those positives and, once it started being like, just, you know, if I was smaller, I could be in this and this. And, um, I think that's a hard thing to come from. Did you have injuries related to that? I'm projecting onto you. I did too. So I'm curious. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, it was also, I, it was a dichotomy because I, also didn't want to be look like that. Like I saw my teammates mm-hmm. and I saw what they were doing. So I never had anorexia or any kind of eating disorder in that direction. It was almost like the opposite. Like, oh, I'm going to be a big runner. I'm going to be healthy. 
But to be honest, it wasn't healthy either. It was just like taking up so much energy and I was almost overcompensating. I was like, I can eat what I like. It was just not healthy. And I, I felt also embarrassed because I was be running with these girls on my team that were a third my size. And it, it just Mm -hmm. like, I, classmates would be like, yo, like, is your teammate okay? Or like, Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of eating disorders on my team and yeah, it was just not a healthy environment. So first of all, I think as a sports psychologist, I think it's just so crucial to think about the environment. And my coach was actually so good about this and he really tried. It's just, there's only so much you can do. And there's so many factors, especially as a female, because not only are you being, there's just so much worth put on your body, whether it's for running or just your appearance in general as a girl, um, it just, there's layers, lots and lots of layers, but he did it as he did as much as he could. It's just hard. But I think at least putting a spotlight and understanding that if you're in that environment, it's not sustainable and it's not healthy and it's not going to help the team perform. Mm-hmm. But injury wise, um, I got three stress fractures, never had a stress fracture before. Um, and I truly think it was because of the stress of like, I like I've mentioned before, just constantly thinking about this and being consumed by it and not being happy uh, because I was still like one of the stronger runners and I didn't look like, I never looked weak. Like I would be one to get a stress fracture, but I was just getting them over and over again. Um, And that's how I discovered weight training though. I mean, I was in the gym more, so I think I was exposed to that earlier than a lot of my teammates. Mm. The injuries, I suppose, were a blessing in disguise because it sounds like you have found a new passion through weightlifting and seeing what your body can do. Yeah, I'm so, again, it's more dots connecting. So the company I work for, it's called Primal Health Coach and the founder, Mark Sisson, he went to the Olympic trials for the marathon. He was like an elite marathoner. He got top three at Ironman, like just an incredible endurance athlete along with his colleague Brad who again went to worlds for the triathlon so these are like elite endurance athletes like best in the world and they realized that overtraining and all this common knowledge about how to push our bodies is just not healthy or sustainable Mm -hmm. and so that's impacted I didn't realize how much that's infiltrated my approach to training now but I I believe strength training is the missing puzzle piece in health, longevity, Mm -hmm. even performance. I just like, I can't talk about it enough. I absolutely love it. Um, It's the best. How did you get into Primal? Was it, uh, did you meet them through uh, weightlifting? Like, was it a position after your uh, injury, just getting you mentally? The yeah, universe. <laughs> I sound I sound so woo woo on this, but I I'm gonna keep going with it. It's it's truly um, it's, it's been that way. Yeah. Uh, so I took a job. I studied international relations and Chinese in college, and I decided I studied Mandarin for seven years, and that was like wow. probably contrib- contributed to my stress fractures too. It was very stressful to be honest to take Chinese, and it was very intense, and I didn't love it anymore. And I was looking at jobs in China, but I was like, I just, I did not want to live in China. I was like, I feel like I've been so disciplined my whole life. I just need to like relax. So I took this job with this travel startup called Tariqa Holidays. And it was, it was, I describe it as the real world international version in Florida. (laughs) 
Oh, okay. wow. So they, That's yeah, where it would I, happen. Yeah. Uh, right? Okay. So I have like a roommate from Thailand, a roommate from Morocco. And that's what was enticing about it. It was people from all over the world. My mom thought I was going into the CIA because there was like five interviews and it was so intense and everything was so mm. private. Um, but it was absolutely amazing training. I met the most incredible people. I have friends all over the world now. And they're the people that relocated me to Los Angeles. So after I got the job, there's like a six month training in Florida. And then they, if you get a job, they relocate you to anywhere in the world. And I got relocated here. Wow. So it really was divine intervention. It was. Yeah. And I get out here and I, the job's fine, but I'm not too passionate. Like travel's cool, but I wouldn't say it's my passion. I don't feel like I'm helping people. And that's something I definitely want in my work. So Anne reached out to me, um, our mutual friend, Brooke and I's yeah. mutual friend. And she was like, hey, I just had an interview with this guy that's really big in the health world. I'm not sure the job fits for me, but I think it's really aligned with what you're doing or like what you enjoy. So then we connected and I had a couple interviews with him. And at the end of the interview, he was like, so I have four companies, Primal Kitchen, Primal This. And then one of them was the health coaching. And that was kind of like behavior change, coaching. And I think even that word coaching, being an athlete, like that's what resonated with me. So um, he then connected me with the co-founder and I had more interviews and I got the job. And that's how I was exposed to that. Well, I'm getting back to also your identity because I've heard you, you know, you are still an athlete. So I feel like that's a different aspect to a lot of our conversations that we've had with other athletes. We They still classify themselves as athletes, but it's not their main identifier anymore. Whereas before it was a competitor, swimmer, runner, whatever that may be. Do you find yourself mm-hmm. still, I mean, really fitting into that mold and your identity being shaped in the fact that you are still a competitor? Did you, well, two part question that, and then also did you battle with that identity at all when you were transitioning out of your collegiate career? It's interesting. I think that I just recently, and recently I mean like the past couple months, six months, past six months, maybe I've detached myself from that from the athlete identity as much and putting uh, making that one of my primary labels for myself, because that was my coping. My coping was just not letting go. And especially because I didn't have a successful college career. And for me, it was always just about like, like I love to compete, but I hated competing and running at that point. And mm-hmm. like in college, I was just over. I was, and it's weird too. I think because I never looked the part of a distance runner. That's been really, really challenging for me. Like people will come up to me and they assume I'm an athlete. And the last sport they would say would be distance running now. Like, Mm. and that's really hard for me. And that was what was hard for me the whole time is you get told enough times that you don't look like what you're doing and you believe it. And that was the issue from the jump about like being the Clydesdale. It's like, you I'm in the airport I have a Duke backpack on people are like oh like what what do you do like you must run the 100 or you must be a like softball player or anything like literally the opposite of a distance runner and you know you start to hear that enough and you're like damn maybe I'm not like I don't like you know you really kind of start to question yourself even if you are running really fast and I still struggle with that like I will have like if I'm at the gym and someone comes up to me 
and they ask me like what sport I'll just say track like I, I really try to avoid the just the cross country because it's honestly kind of shameful for me I'm like I feel bad that I don't look that way or that I don't yeah it's it's interesting so I'm working on it I'm practicing that's something that I uh, have to be aware of when that happens and be like why do I you know and I, I work mm-hmm. really hard to try and be as honest and transparent but it was just like not I also yeah I don't necessarily like like my experiences in distance running I, I love what they have shaped me to be but again I just like don't think it's healthy and I like to be being strong has empowered me in so many ways and makes me feel capable in so many areas of my life where distance running kind of tore me down. It's funny how you say that. I feel like every time people always ask, I'm six, seven, so I'm (laughs) super tall and I look athletic. You do. I look thin. Like, it looks like I did something. People are always like, what did you do? Well, I swam and then they always ask, oh, what events did you do? And it's like, do you even watch swimming? (laughs) Why why does this matter? Why does this matter? You're just starting a small conversation and it is... It is yeah. mildly frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can cope is, with that. <laughs> yeah. The thing is like, that's, I, that's why I try to be gentle with myself and others when mm-hmm. they ask me, because I know they don't mean much by it, but for right. me, it triggers so much. Like right. every time I have to like admit to myself again, or someone asks me and I'm like, Oh no, I ran the 5k. Like it's right. Why, why yeah, do you it, think that is? I'm just curious because I get it too. Yeah. I, I'm just like, what? Uh, why does it trigger uh, me? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I do have a little bit of a trigger too, too when it comes to that just from, you know, those experiences and those good experiences or bad experiences. But part of me just – it it I have come to terms with it, I think. I'm comfortable talking. Mm-hmm. I just think that it's always funny that people bring that up and – for me, it was time. I've never actually like thought about that, you know. Like, for some it. reason, yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's just that root of it, and I think you you said it pretty well as far as that one goes. I think, yeah, the frustration of not performing to my capabilities. Yeah, and I, I just I've always like I've always loved sports. I've always wanted to be an athlete, and for me a distance runner, as much as they are an athlete, that doesn't, because it was a broken time for me or broken, it didn't feel good to do that. And I didn't feel strong. And like I said, capable, I just, it, it doesn't bring back good memories for me. And um, it's been a pattern, like I said, of trying to reframe that and be okay. And just know that when someone asks that, they're not trying to trigger, they're just at me for conversation. But I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, of what are they thinking? I don't look like that. Like, and that's like, mm-hmm. and then I, I get very self-conscious about it. And that's not, I'm not, I'm a confident person. So it just like, but when that happens, I become a, a uh, little sheep or something. <laughs> oh, how has that impacted you on, you know, you said you did, ran to Vegas. Yeah. I want to what, hear that too. What it's was that? Awesome. Just kind of like a, I'm going to do yeah. this. I'm going to prove the world wrong type mentality. Or was it just like, I'm going to run to Vegas just for the hell of it and then go gamble. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like I'm still very active in distance. Like I'm running Boston marathon. So I'm like very much in the Good distance. Running community. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, sick. Yeah. 
So yeah, so I'm like still doing it, but I do it on at half the mileage and I strength train all the time and I feel great and I'm running like similar, like I'm, for how much work and how many miles I was putting in, it's like, this is the way better approach. Like this is amazing. I love running now. It's just, it's so great. It's been such a awesome uh, journey to get here and I'm really happy about it. But Vegas, okay, listen to this. This is crazy. I literally... <laughs> Uh, was asked like two weeks before to join this team. There's this thing called the Speed Project. It's kind of through Nike. It's through this guy named Blue and mm. Niels. And they, it's a race from LA to Vegas, from the Santa Monica Pier to the Vegas sign on foot. And it's kind of, it's a Ragnar. There's no rules really. So uh, you're on a team anywhere from six people to however many you want. So the first two years I did it, I was on a team of six. So I ran 70 miles um, um, myself, it was a total of like 352 miles and we split it up and we're basically running legs until we get there. Um, it took us dude. on, when I was on those teams of six, it took us like a lot of hours, like over 50 hours, but I did it with a team of 10 last year and we did it in 38 hours. That's moving all of yeah, it. Was, wow. Yeah. It was with that one was with guys. So the first two years I was with just girls. And then last year I had guys on my team. It was just two girls. Um, and we crushed wow. it and it was so fun. What kind um, of mile pace average is that? I was keeping it sub sevens for the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. That is it's a, you get breaks. You get breaks. So we would just be running Still. like my first leg was like four miles and then I rest. The hardest part, similar to I don't know if you guys doubled in events or when you had states mm-hmm. and you had to go day after day. It's like the hard part is like your adrenaline goes up and then it goes down and then you have to get it back yeah. up again. And mm-hmm. it's like the same thing. I have a CrossFit competition next weekend and it's like four events in one day. And the hardest part for me is you go hard, like the first event, you know, there's like full, full capacity, full on out, and then it's over. And then you have to do that again Jeez. in 20 minutes. Like, it's just like getting, <laughs> that's the hardest part. It's for me, I just, I love, I think the reason I haven't let go of the competitor and the athlete identity is just because, first of all, I coach other people right now in health coaching and I find mm-hmm. it so valuable and I still have a coach And I feel like as athletes, we've always had a coach. And then all of a sudden, like one day you just don't have a coach anymore. Yeah. Hmm. And I I think it's very odd. And I I encourage everyone to have a coach. I think absolutely everyone can benefit from someone. And it helps me tremendously uh, to stay on track and keep like crushing my goals and staying excited about things. So um, I haven't let go of that part of the athlete identity and it, it trickles into every area of my life. When I have these athletic goals, it keeps me, uh, it keeps me focused. You know, it's interesting to think about because, um, coach doc, who is also, he's an athlete behavior scientist, um, as well. And he was talking about how he has a sensei, right? Was it yes. sensei or no? He, he said sensei. It, or, yeah. He well, called it a it. different word, not sensei, but he's, <sighs> It was some Tai Chi master. Shoot. Yeah. But it, it's neat to think that he also was saying that he finds such a benefit in having a coach. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like that because I think you you two are doing very similar. I mean, obviously you have similar um, areas of expertise that, you've, that you're going into. And so for you both to say having a coach is so beneficial. I'm curious do you, where 
would you advise people to find a coach? Like what, what type of access do we have just as like what's out there? Yeah, I think that's a really good question uh, because it's kind of the, it, it's the wild, wild west with coaching now, you know, everyone's right? calling themselves a coach and um, so coach. it is hard. Yeah. Life coach. And to be honest, like my, and there's no, I, I mean, my coach is basically a life coach and she helps me in all aspects and I absolutely love it. And if you have a good one, it's great because it's like a one-stop shop. She's my therapist, but she's also my business coach. And she's my, like, she's going to be my number one supporter when I'm like in a competition and I'm like, I've got this person supporting me, you know? And I think about that when I'm competing. So, but I found her through word of mouth through a mutual friend. Uh, so, but I, that's hard. I don't even know where you would go to find uh, there's coaching directories. So like for instance, right. for primal health coach, the company I work for, we have a coaching directory and then everyone has an expertise. So um, you can go there depending on what you're looking for. I guess that's the first question is figuring out what, what you want to coach for. Do you want a life coach? Do you need it for your nutrition? Do you need it for like your uh, running a marathon and you need training or whatever it is? And then start asking around health coaching. I definitely know where you can go, but as for life coaching, it's kind of, I, I would trust word of mouth more than anything, just because you don't know with some of them. Oh <laughs> right? well, yeah. I think it's funny. Cause you, you had mentioned it before. Right after you had finished college, you kind of were on that journey of, I'm going to find out who I am by myself. I went down the same route and I feel pretty good about it. But as we continue to grow, I think it is pretty important for that life coach aspect. You say word of mouth, what happened, just kind of regular circle groups, you end up running into this person at a CrossFit crossfit competition or uh... yeah uh that's a really good point that you bring up Dom. because i i didn't mean i didn't actually explicitly say that but i agree i think having that time post-college not having guidance was pretty critical as well it gave me time to not be told what to do by anyone and really listen to myself for once and see what makes me happy but I do think you can become stagnant at a certain point mm -hmm. and having guidance instead of, you know, having a coach that you see every single day on the court or on the field or on the track uh, with me, my coach, I mean, we meet depend either once a week or every other week. And it's like, she's going to hold me accountable if I'm like, Hey, um, I'm writing this business plan. And she's going to be like, did you, how much do you have done? Like, did you submit it to who you said you were going to, you know? And that's, that's, great. that's crucial because I've got a lot of things going on. I can make every excuse. I'm going to be like, oh, I have a midterm. I have this, but no, I'll make time if it's important to me. And I, I think it's just very valuable to have someone that is not biased. It's not your mom or your dad or your brother. Cause my brothers could do that, but I'm not going to listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but I, I found her through my circle. So I was so lucky in the sense that the second week I moved to California, I met my best friend who is eight years older than me. And she'd already lived out here for seven years. And she kind of vetted everyone and already had this really awesome circle of health and wellness people. She was a trainer at a gym. She owned a gym. And being connected with her, I kind of just met so many people. Um, and that's how I met my coach. 
You think there's a niche for knowing Mandarin in the yeah, weightlifting world and fitness world uh, in Southern California? <laughs> to be honest, the only uh, the only applicable time I use Mandarin is in Ubers when I've had a couple drinks and I'm ready to conversate. <laughs> I, never, I never use it. I never use it. And I, it's so bad because I studied it for so long and now I'm so rusty. Um, so I, again, like that's something where I'd be like to my coach, Sam, I'd be like, Sam, I need to, like, I want to start practicing my Mandarin again. I want to start like doing something with it. And she would be the one that would be like, Chloe, did you, did you practice for, you know what I mean? And that's just like critical. If that was something that I wanted to focus on. But no, haven't found a niche for it in weightlifting. However, uh, who knows? It may come in handy, honestly. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow along on Instagram at when your sport ends. We post behind the scenes content and more videos of when we're recording. And it's always nice to hear what you have to say and what you think about for future episodes. If you have ideas for topics, let us know. We're listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.